Today we're going to do a deep dive on core gameplay loops. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 48th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. And I finally have a schedule for my Twitch streams. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. And I'll be streaming on Mondays and Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. And I've been trying to mix it up. I do a little bit of like half game dev and half not game dev. So yeah, I guess either way, it's fun to come and hang out. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you there. We also have an open community Discord. There's a link in the show notes. I feel like I've said it every episode. And if you've come this far, you've heard it before. So yeah, you probably already know about that. Go check it out if you haven't been. Every week we get people who say, I've been hearing about it, but I haven't joined yet. And then they do, and yeah, I think it's just a good spot, and I'm sure those people are happy they did it. Anyways, with the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the audience, and they post in our community Discord with their submission, and then the community votes on the submissions, and I read the one with the most votes live on the show. The last game dev challenge is something we do annually, always for the new year, and it was to make a game dev resolution. And it was hard to like pick a winner for this one for the votes, because obviously everyone's resolution is something personal and valid to themselves. There's not really one better than the other. But the winner I did pick comes from at least a top three vote-getter. And I think it's a pretty good resolution because it's something that I think a lot of people should strive for, especially if they're just beginning. So the winner of the episode 47 Game Dev Challenge is Developed Aphid. Developed Aphid says, Like others, my problem last year was starting multiple big, ambitious, scope-creep-rich projects that I didn't have the time or experience to complete. So my 2022 goal is to completely finish at least one full game. I think this is the perfect resolution for a new game dev is to just get that first game under your belt. It's such a big milestone. If you think about it, probably 80% of people who have wanted to make a video game never even finish one project. So getting to that milestone is not easy, but if you do do it, Um, you will have made it further than most people do. And it's going to teach you a whole bunch. It's going to give you maybe some confidence. Maybe it's going to teach you that game dev's not for you. The point is you're going to learn a lot from it, and you won't be stuck on a project that's going to take years of your life just to never see the light of day. So yeah, congrats to Developed Aphid for winning the Episode 47 Game Dev Challenge. For Episode 48, we're going to go back to a bit of a traditional game dev challenge and this may even be one where we've done one similar and i'll talk about why it's been similar before but the episode 48 game dev challenge is to identify a game loop in one of your favorite games and use the terminology we learned today to describe it 
Today's episode is a big deep dive or a closer look at core gameplay loops. If you'll remember, we have done an episode on progression in game loops, and it was kind of like a thing that was maybe, I don't know, one-third of the episode. It was something we quickly looked into. But today we're really going to dissect it and get technical. And so, yeah, maybe you have an example of your favorite core game loop. I'm going to give you my example at the end of the body of the episode. And I think this is a good exercise to really understand why games are really satisfying and work. And by doing this, you're better informing your own game design. So I think it's really good practice. So yeah, if you have a core game loop uh, that from one of your favorite games that you know works and you want to talk about it, come on to the community Discord and post your thoughts in the Game Dev Challenge channel. With the Game Dev Challenge done, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is a deep dive on a topic we covered briefly in episode 25, Pacing and Game Loops. And as you probably can figure out from the Game Dev Challenge, the deep dive we're going to do today is on game loops. And this was a topic that was picked by the patrons, but I think this could be a new kind of episode. Like, maybe there are some other topics that I covered briefly that maybe we should go more in-depth on. But I think if we are going to do something like this, I think game loops are a good first one to go back and deep dive. And that's because a game loop is really the heart of a game. It's the engine that drives the whole experience. So I think it's only right that if we're going to go back and take a deep look at something, it should be game loops. Some of this intro stuff and some of the points I'm going to go over today might be things that we've already said in episode 25. Um, I think they're worth revisiting quick. But I will say we're going to get a lot more technical. This one's going to have some technical speech, but uh, don't worry, I'll go over it and then I'll go over it again at the conclusion. So I hope by the end of this you'll be able to think about game loops in more of this technical way and how to classify them, or at least how I like to classify them. And I hope it makes you a better game loop designer. So let's jump right into it. A gameplay loop is a circular pattern of actions that you repeat throughout playing a game. A good, concise example might be found in classic Doom. Usually the loop goes something like this. You enter a room, you kill the demons, you explore for drops and power-ups, and then you go to the next space. When you go to the next space, you enter the room, you kill the demons, you explore for drops and power-ups, and you go to the next room. This is a simple yet effective loop, and it provides the player with a satisfying cycle of repeated actions. You'll be doing it for most of the game, so it's important that it's good and satisfying. And I think it really complements what Doom is. Later we're going to talk about micro loops and frequency and stuff, but the point is, like everything in Doom, it's a simple and concise and pure experience. It serves Doom really well because killing the demons and exploring and then killing and exploring is the most satisfying parts of Doom in my opinion. And that's really what a good game loop is all about. It's about keeping that constant flow of satisfying actions. And here's where I want to make the first distinction. Sometimes when people talk about core game loops, they talk about making them compulsive. They will say things like, a good loop makes it so you don't want to put down the game. And at some point, this line of thinking starts to cross a line where the design of the game and the loop actually starts to employ psychological tricks and maybe even exploit its player base. 
so that the game keeps you playing even when you maybe don't even want to. I know about these tricks because when I started making games seriously around 2015, I started as a mobile dev. And I'll admit, I employed tricks like Skinner boxes and loss aversion to keep people playing so that they would watch more ads because the ads were how I was making money. I was driven as a game designer by getting ad views, that was the most important metric. And I realized that I was making compulsive loops and not really even games. And I really had to reevaluate why I started game dev in the first place, and compulsive ad spamming games weren't it. And at that point, uh, when I decided to stop, I almost quit game dev entirely. One of the many times, in fact, that I've almost quit game dev entirely. But anyways, this isn't uh, meant for story time. My point was that a lot of the info out there and some stuff I'm going to talk about today and the tips and techniques and methods that we're going to learn, they could be used to make a compulsive loop. I won't go into the really dirty ones. I think I have before, like Skinner boxes and loss aversion. I think we've talked about that before. It might have even been in the last progression in Game Loops episode. I don't remember, but... I would urge you today to learn the methods that we're going to learn, um, and when you use them, to use them to make a satisfying game loop and not a compulsive game loop. And being able to spot the difference is important not only as a game developer, but I think as a gamer in general, uh, knowing these things will help you avoid those games with some sort of shady practices. The hard part is, is that I'm certain there's a difference between a satisfying loop and a compulsive loop, but where that line is exactly is kind of gray to me. But nevertheless, it's something I want you to be aware of. And don't get me wrong, compelling the player to want to play more of your games is not a bad thing. Just make sure that you're doing it in good faith and not trying to get them stuck in a loop so that they're watching ads or paying to make the loop go faster or anything like that. Just make sure you're doing it in good faith. Okay, so with that out of the way, we know we want to make a cycle of actions that is satisfying to complete. That's what a good game loop in my mind is. Something that maybe even has features that make the player want to do it over and over. How do we achieve a game design that has this sort of loop? Well, you know me, and you know I like to start with classifications and spectrums and all <laughs> manner of terminology. Um, let's start with the first ones, which is the macro versus micro loop and the idea of frequency. Frequency will help us make the distinction between the macro and micro loop. You can think of frequency as just how much the game loop repeats over a given time frame. The core game loop of Doom that I mentioned earlier is an example of a high-frequency loop. It's something that might repeat a handful of times within a few minutes. A macro loop is something bigger, and oftentimes the actions inside the cycle are more involved, or I guess there's not really a better word than bigger. Think about something like the Call of Duty multiplayer. The macro loop there is customize your kit, play a round of Call of Duty, unlock new stuff that allows you to customize again, then you play around to test it out, unlock new stuff. And that's a satisfying over and over loop that keeps you playing for a long time, but the point of the example is that you could say it has a lower frequency, because it might take 20 minutes or so for that loop to complete. 
The macro loop in Call of Duty though still works because each action in the pattern is satisfying and it connects with the next step in a way that keeps you going through the cycle. And that's where I want to get into the next idea of complementary actions. Call of Duty's multiplayer macro loop works so well because each action kind of sets up the next one for success. You start by customizing your gun and what's the natural thing that everyone wants to do after building a really cool gun? They want to go test it out. So naturally, you move on to the next part, which is play a round of Call of Duty. And by playing a round, you actually unlock new stuff, new customization tools. Which is perfect, because the next step is going back to customizing your kit. And so it's this simple three-action loop that complements each next action and makes the game super addicting and fun to play. So when designing the actions in your game loop pattern, you want to have the actions complement each other. And they don't always have to do it in such a linear way that Call of Duty does, but I like to think of it as like a cause and effect type situation. A good and easy way to do it is to have each action affect the next one, but it's also possible to have actions affect multiple future steps. Or maybe even, and this would take some experimentation, I'm not saying this would work, but it's worth looking into, maybe having an action uh, have complements with every other action. I'm not sure how that would work, but it would be interesting to design a game with a sort of delayed response like that. In general, I think the more macro your loop, the more you have to have complementary actions. In micro loops, you can kind of get away with not having as much complementary actions or not having them complement perfectly because of the higher frequency of micro loops. If you're going through it a bunch of times in a short amount of time, it doesn't necessarily have to work like that. But the bigger your loop gets, the complementary actions really start to matter. Because if it's going to be taking you a long time to get through the loop, it might like, fatigue your player and it's easy to kind of reduce that fatigue by having actions that play off of each other. I hope that kind of makes sense. The next thing I want to talk about is to break down the steps and sort of talk about the default loop template that I use. This is how I generally start when I design a core game loop. I start with this idea. This is just a default loop template. This is how I think of and try to fit in all core loops of games into some kind of template like this. And it doesn't always work, but I think it's pretty broad that it's a good way to sort of get your feet wet and then customize it to your needs. So anyways, the default loop template starts with what I call the presentation or information step. This is the part of the loop where you tell or show the player the goal. This is the first stop of the loop. This can be explicit like a challenge in Call of Duty, get this many kills, take over the zones, etc. Or it can be more abstract. By abstract I mean like in Doom when you enter a room or arena, nothing tells you you have to kill everything but it's just kind of implied. When you walk into a room, the presentation step happens as soon as you see the demons shooting giant fireballs at you. Next we have the plan step. And what's important to know about this step is that it's going to happen no matter what and it's up to you whether or not you have gameplay designed around it. The player is always going to plan when presented with a challenge or goal. It's just a natural thing that humans do. 
in a game like Mario, for instance, there isn't a whole lot of gameplay around the plan step. You see the challenge or goal, and in your mind you start to plan, but the execution kind of happens automatically. However, in an RPG, the plan step is very much a part of the game, and there's game design around it. Preparing for a boss battle, for instance, you're going to take time to plan and take inventory of your gear and the status of your character. So it's important to realize if the plan step for your game happens sort of automatically, like in Mario, or if there's actual gameplay around it, like in an RPG. Next, we have the third step, and that's the execute step. I also sometimes call it the test step, and that should be for obvious reasons. It's where the player executes or tests their plan. And this is just when you actually do the thing you planned. And this is an interesting step because the next step is actually different depending on the results of this step. If the player is successful in the test step, then we move on to the reward step. However, if they're unsuccessful, we need to go back to the plan step. So that's kind of why I like to call it a test step. If it's a pass, then we go to the reward. If it's a fail, we go back to the plan and start the loop over. And the reward step is the final step, and it's important because it's the payoff. The reward step is where you drop the loot, play the cutscene, whatever. It's the reason why the player took the challenge in the first place. Once you complete the reward step, you move back to step one, which is the presentation, and present a new challenge or new information, and the cycle repeats. This is my basic framework or default game loop, and it doesn't always go this way like I said, but it's where I start when designing a game loop, and I kind of customize the game loop from here. For different kinds of games, maybe the steps will be shorter or longer. Like how we talked about in the plan step, that kind of depends on the game. Some games the plan step's long, some games the plan step's not long. And when I was talking about that, I probably should have, and I wanted to, point out and mention the difference between a linear and dynamic loop. A linear loop is a closed circle. In other words, the steps have one input and output. An example of this would be the Call of Duty multiplayer. You customize the gun, you use the gun, you get rewarded, and then you go back to customization. A dynamic loop is like the default temp that I just mentioned where some steps have split outcomes depending on the game. There's that test step in there that can send you in essentially a smaller loop within the core loop. I hope that <laughs> isn't too confusing. I hope that it makes sense. I, I think about it in like a, a double rainbow pattern if that makes sense. But anyways, I think dynamic loops work better as micro loops with a high frequency and linear loops work better as macro loops with a low frequency. I think this because um, the more you get through a game loop, the more you can appreciate where the different paths of the loops go. Linear loops often work good for macro stuff because the long-term big picture stuff should follow a consistent path that the player expects. Of course, like anything I say on the show, these aren't hard rules and you could mix these ideas however you like, but those are just some observations I have had from experience in making many game loops. I realize this episode is getting pretty terminology dense, and I promise I'll follow up with some examples and more digestible stuff in a second, but this is the last idea we have to learn. The last idea we should learn is the idea of parallel loops. Parallel loops are when you have multiple game loops going at the same time. 
it's definitely a risky technique and it can really confuse the player when done incorrectly. But when done correctly, it can make for a really compelling game where there's always something that keeps you going. I think this is something that you should probably only do with micro loops, and it's the idea of having multiple concurrent micro loops. It helps if they all connect somewhere, and they're a good way of keeping the player always progressing or working towards something. This is a common technique in mobile games, for instance. You'll see that mobile games will have multiple micro loops that are constantly giving you something. We all know the games with like the three different energy systems, the gold, the crystals, and the gems. And they try to hook you into one of these loops, and then make you maybe watch an ad or just straight up pay to keep the loop going. And this is what I was talking about before by using core game loop design in kind of a exploitative or not a way in good faith, I'll say. But don't get me wrong, this micro loop idea can be used to make actually really satisfying games. And I'll mention that in the end of this episode when I talk about my favorite example of a core game loop. But before we get to that, I wanted to give some specific tips on how to make your gameplay loop satisfying. Now that we have all the terminology and classifications out of the way, I think you'll really be able to appreciate these tips and how to use them. And remember that we're using these techniques to improve our game and give our players a satisfying, fun experience. We're not going to use these to try to get them to click more ads or pay money to keep it going. Remember, there's that gray line somewhere in there. That's the difference between making like a satisfying game that you deserve to make money on and making a compulsive game that's maybe a little um, exploited, exploitative, exploited, ex exploitative, Explo that's going to be one of those words that <laughs> people come onto the Discord and phonetically spell for me because I don't think I can pronounce it. I think it's exploitative. But anyways, uh, back to the content. Here are two techniques that work pretty well for me for making satisfying game loops. The first one is to show the first and last step of the cycle together. This is often in the form of the information and presentation step and the reward step. You know this and you've seen this in MMOs if you've ever played one. You will be given a quest that says bring me 10 boar hides and I'll let you pick from these rewards. And if you think about it, a quest is a micro game loop. And it does what I just said by presenting the information step and the reward step together. You present the challenge and tell them what the reward is going to be. The player plans and then executes the quest and then is rewarded. And then you go back to the presentation step by picking up a new quest to do it again. But by showing the reward step in the information or presentation, the first step, you're giving the player a kind of mental note and closure on what the experience will be like. Think about it. If you know you're getting a reward and maybe it's something you really want, do you stop halfway through a task or do you do it to completion? So yeah, that's technique number one, and uh, one that I think is really strong. Show the reward and the challenge, or however your game loop works, show the beginning and end step together, so that the player has mental closure and knows kind of the experience they're in for. This also makes a really good way to keep the flow of your game nice, because it gives them a good on and off point. 
They can jump into the game at the beginning of a quest, and they can be introduced kind of into the flow, and then when they end a quest, that's a good time to get off the game and have some closure and not feel like they're going to be lost the next time or in the middle of something. The next tip I have for game loops is to make sure that the steps are well defined and that you're communicating to the player what step they're in. By having defined steps and letting the player know where they are, you make the game flow a lot easier. I think a common mistake is that we chase this idea of flow so much that the game loop breaks down into like a infinity circle with no defined steps. And you say, oh, well, it's all up to the player choice. But if you give the player choice, uh, they're just going to make their own steps, which is fine in like a sandbox game. But if you think about it, even sandbox games have defined steps. Minecraft, for instance, gather materials, go build, build tools so you can get more materials, so you can explore. It's got defined steps. I think by having this, you're just helping the player get more in the groove of the game. When you don't have these defined steps and you just kind of do the infinity circle thing that I was talking about, it actually, it seems like it would make it flow better, but it doesn't flow as well and you have these sort of friction points. I'll give you an example. I think everyone has had this experience. Have you ever played a game and gotten stuck without knowing what to do next? Like you don't know where you have to go, what task you're on, what's supposed to happen. This totally breaks the flow of the game and creates what I call a friction point. And the problem with friction points is in today's world of endless, really high quality content, a friction point will just be an invitation for the player to go try something else. But having clear steps in your game loop that flow seamlessly into each other is a good way to reduce these friction points because the player will always know where they're at in the experience and what to do next. So I hope with those two techniques and the terminology that we mentioned earlier, I hope you'll be in a good space to design your own game loops. I think that's really all the necessary information that you need to start. And because game dev is usually a pretty customizable experience, with that base knowledge, you should be able to take your own intuition and your own game design philosophy and figure out what's right for your game and come up with a solid beating heart that drives your game's experience. I wanted to end the body section of this episode with an example of what is, in my opinion, one of the most effective game loops that I know. And the game I want to talk about is Civilization. Civilization is actually a game series, and it's a turn-based 4X. If you're unfamiliar with the 4X genre, it stands for Explore, Expand, Exploit, and Exterminate. And these games are usually empire-building games, and if you know anything about the history of empires and how they're built, uh, you know you're going to be doing some combination of these four things. I wanted to bring up Civ because its game loop is so satisfying that starting a Civ game at 7pm on a work night is probably a mistake because I guarantee you will be up till at least 2am saying to yourself, just one more turn. And I wanted to talk about why I think this is 
and maybe the lessons we can learn to better inform our own game design. So Civ as a whole has a few loops, both macro and micro. The micro loop is the turn in the game. Basically, you'll have a turn, and it's usually made up of three parts. Step one, take inventory of the map, your civilization, and what needs to get done this turn. Step two is to draw out your plan. This is where you choose what cities to build, what the cities are building, where your armies go, and the direction you're exploring, and a whole bunch of other options. Step three is to press the end turn button and watch it all play out. During step three, you get new exploration, you finish those buildings, your armies move, and the next loop is affected and you're sent back to step one. You now have a new status you need to evaluate. You had new buildings, which lets you do new things. You have more cities, and they need to have their stuff all sorted out. You have your armies and new positions. You have to go back to step one, basically, and figure out what needs to get done this turn. And this microloop is effective enough, but the beauty of the design is in the combination of parallel macro loops. This is something I think Civilization VI specifically gets very right. And maybe parallel macro loops isn't the perfect terminology, I just mean more macro than the already micro loop of the turn. So I hope that's not too confusing. Think of these as, I guess, uh, medium macro loops. It'll just be easier through the example. Let's take the tech tree, for instance. As your empire grows in civilization, you'll be researching new technologies. It'll start with, like, poetry and writing, but towards the end of the game, you'll get to the end with, like, satellites, spaceships, and robots. And there's everything in between. Um, there's, like, a whole steam era and the first time you find oil and all that stuff. The beauty is that this parallel loop of figure out what you need to research figure out how to research it faster and get the reward of completing the research and go back to step one that parallel loop runs concurrently with other things like cultural technology where you discover like drama and plays and radio shows and they ensure that each new turn is filled with new stuff Remember how I said earlier that quests are a good loop because people want to complete them and uh, won't stop halfway through because they want the closure and the reward? Well, Civ works so well and has that just one more turn feel, in my opinion, because you're always halfway through one of the loops, and by completing the turn, you've finished one of these parallel medium macro loops. This turn, you've discovered a new thing in science. Next turn, you had a breakthrough in religion. Next turn, Edgar Allan Poe was born in your capital. This makes for a compelling and satisfying overall game loop because you're always completing a loop and looking forward to the next one or working towards the next one. I think it's really clever game design and something that I often think about when talking about core game loops. Now, of course, this is a really complex game loop that has evolved over years and years of game development throughout the Civilization series. But what can we learn from this and maybe apply to our smaller indie games? Well, the game loop does something that we talked about earlier in that the steps affect each other meaningfully and they flow together seamlessly. It also does what I talked about earlier about showing the reward up front. The game will tell you how the building you're going to build will affect the city. 
It'll tell you what the research you're working on does or what the ramifications of having a great person born in your civilization are. I think Civ is a great example of a good core game loop. And to me, it's like one of those really high-end watches. It's, it's pretty complex and intricately designed, but everything works together. It's really a work of art, how it works all together and is always on time. So yeah, anyways, that's a really long example of how Civ is a good core game loop. I definitely would recommend anyone to go play it. Uh, just make sure you start it on like a Saturday morning because I guarantee you'll want to play for hours on end. So there was a lot of terminology in this episode and I think a good conclusion is in order. Today's episode was a deep dive on core game loops. A core game loop is a repeating pattern of actions that is the beating heart of your game. A good initial example is Classic Doom, where you enter a room, kill all the demons, explore the room, pick up the power-ups, move to the next room. And you repeat that process over and over for most of the game. It's a satisfying loop of repeated actions and it's important for it to be satisfying. Remember, we're aiming for satisfying loops, not addicting ones. And I'll admit that the line between the two is not well defined and kind of exists in a gray area. I think as long as you're using satisfying game loops in good faith, I think you'll be alright. Remember we talked about the frequency and how that is just how often a loop happens over a given time period. A high frequency game loop is a micro loop uh, that would be like the Doom example where it happens multiple times in a short time frame. A low frequency game loop is a macro loop. This would be like a story act in an RPG for instance. It starts, maybe you're introduced to the current state of the world, then some story beats developed, and it ends with a boss encounter, which then sends you to the next act, where you're introduced to the current state of the world, some story beats develop, and it ends with a boss character. This is an example of a macro loop because it takes place over maybe hours and not minutes. Remember that it's a good idea to have each action in the cycle affect the others. We also talked about the default template for designing a game loop. That loop being present, plan, test, and reward. Present is where you introduce the player to the goal or challenge. Plan is where they plan it and how they'll achieve it. Test is the actual execution of the plan and depending on the outcome, they either end up at the last step, the reward step, or go back to the plan step. This is an example of a dynamic loop where the test step has multiple outcomes. There's also linear loops where each step has one input and one output. And remember the last bit of terminology we learned was the idea of parallel loops, which is multiple, usually micro loops, going at the same time. And those are really great for keeping the player engaged. We talked, for instance, about how mobile games use them to maybe keep a player hooked, but they can be used for good too, like in Civilization, where they make the game a great experience. We also mentioned two tips or techniques that I personally use for loops, which is show the reward step on step one, or connect the end loops and show it on the first step. And we also mentioned the technique of having defined steps that flow into each other. Doing these things will help the player know where they're at in the loop and help them have an easily digestible experience with closure. They help minimize friction points, which are places where the loop breaks down and makes the player want to stop playing. 
and it gives the player a good opportunity to wrap up their current experience and leave the game, or it makes a good place for them to jump in when they eventually come back to it. The last thing we mentioned was that the game series Civilization has my favorite example of a core game loop, and it uses a lot of the tips and tricks I mentioned in the show, and is something I would really recommend you go play and try it out. And that's going to be the end of this deep dive on core game loops. I hope you found a little bit more in-depth look at it um, more useful. We'll definitely have to go back to other topics that I sort of just did the intro on and didn't go super deep into and maybe revisit those for some deep dives. If you have any ideas, you can always reach out to me on Twitter at underscore Zachavilli underscore or message me on the Discord or just put it in the community Discord. I'll leave a open invite link in the show notes. Also, don't forget that I'm now streaming on Twitch pretty uh, consistently on Mondays and Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern and on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. Anyways, with that, I think I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli, and now that I've talked about this, I realize that my evil game design twin is probably out there making slot machines. 